It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up in just a few minutes, I want to give you a heads up about the problems with all the breaches attacking your business, the government that serves you, whatever. I want to tell you what you need to know to protect yourself. And coming up yet later, there's a lot of talk constantly about tariffs and what's happening with those and all that. It's having an effect on the economy. I want to tell you how that affects you. The upside of the confrontation going on between the U.S. and China. So I want to address something that is going to become a real issue in the next few weeks, and that is when the 737 MAX aircraft go back into service with American United and Southwest, who were the three airlines that currently were flying those planes at the time they were grounded following the two crashes involving this MAX aircraft, a new design of a 1967 airframe. That's right, 1967. Uh, Instead of building a modern fuselage, Boeing was terrified of competition from a superior single-aisle aircraft from Airbus that manufactures in Europe, uh, the United States, I forget where else in the world, but it's European-owned. And so Boeing, instead of building a new modern aircraft, decided to take the 1967-era airplane and put some modern engines on it and it made the plane by its nature unstable. So in order to counteract that, Boeing put on a special system that was designed to counteract the possibility of a catastrophic stall. Stall is when an airplane loses its ability to stay in the air, loses lift, and the pilots lose control often, and the plane doesn't stay in the air. So Boeing came up with this automated system that they didn't tell anybody about that turned out to be defective and led to these two crashes. Now, that's what is not in dispute. None of what I said. I mean, that's what happened. So now the FAA, our safety regulator, which had always been pretty much the world's gold standard, is looked at with total suspicion around the world and polling shows in the United States that roughly half of people surveyed say they're afraid to get on one of these planes once they're recertified. So the problem is the FAA is really looking at itself and has for years as Boeing's lackey is in service to Boeing and neglected its oversight role and making sure that when the new plane was designed and was being put into production and into service, that the plane was safe for service. The FAA, actually so much a captive of Boeing, turned over to Boeing the certification that the plane was safe. Now, come on. So now, 
other countries and airlines around the world are afraid of how their customers would react and afraid of being the next airline to be in the news with a plane crash. Word is that the FAA is getting close to saying this plane's fine. Well, the European regulators a little while ago said, that's junk. They said it in more diplomatic terms, but they have set up a three-part test, which I support completely because if successfully implemented, I would feel fine as somebody who flies roughly two out of every three weeks. I'd be happy to get on one of these planes if it makes it through the European safety regulators' requirements. And the FAA, because it has no credibility and a lot of lives have been lost because of the FAA allowing Boeing to do whatever it wanted to, putting unsafe aircraft in the air and keeping unsafe aircraft in the air, the Europeans have recommended a very clear set of tests to make sure that before the plane goes in the air, it is, in fact, safe to fly. And I will tell you, I don't think any of us, even if the FAA whitewashes this and says that, oh, this plane's fine to fly, that what what Boeing wants to do and what the FAA is just saying, oh, yeah, 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 that what the European regulators have said is they want to actually approve any changes Boeing's making to try to make this unsafe plane safe, and they want an independent review done, independent review done. And the third thing is, to me, one of the most shocking things about this whole process. This plane, even though it still has the name 737 on it, has very different flying characteristics and very different electronics in it than prior versions of the 737 that many of us fly on every day. And the Boeing people conned the FAA into not requiring any training for pilots to fly this new plane because it would cost airlines money to make sure pilots were properly trained. And the European regulators are saying that they're not going to allow this plane back in the sky in European airspace until the pilots are properly trained, which should have happened in the beginning. So the challenge here is that Boeing is an intensely powerful corporation and extremely politically connected in Washington. And so we got to this point with an unsafe design, an unsafe aircraft, and poorly trained, untrained pilots to fly the differences that are involved with this plane, we got to this because of a corrupt culture in Washington that gave a big, powerful corporation what it wanted, which was the ability to be the judge and jury on whether or not a new aircraft design was safe. And so as far as I'm concerned... I don't think anybody should fly on one, no matter what the FAA does, until the much tougher tests that the Europeans are requiring take place. And 
American United and Southwest at your peril, you put people back on those planes without putting pilots through the proper training they should go through, which involves a regime of serious simulator training that had been waived to this point for this aircraft. If you ever want to know more about this, listen to an audio tape that has leaked of a meeting of United, of, sorry, American Airlines pilots with Boeing after the first crash but before the second one. And you should hear the anger from those American Airlines pilots over the, uh, the slipshod kind of way this plane was put into service with questions unanswered and risks that continued for passengers after the first crash. And, you know, first time is sometimes something will happen. But that second crash never should have happened because Boeing cynically was only concerned about the money coming in for the aircraft and did not into this moment has not shown one bit of concern about the loss of those lives chuck is with us on the clark howard show chuck please forgive me for for setting such a tone at the start of this part of our show well you're you're passionate about about certain things so I, i can appreciate that level of concern well you know you start talking about killing people that that uh fires me up you know absolutely so what's up chuck so i have a question for you so you know i i've been a traveler with family and friends but you know not all of us can get along every time and not all of us want to go on vacation with their family all the time and a lot of times i'm searching for plug and play getaways whether that's going to be like an overseas land excursion of a tour a seven or ten day tour um, sometimes I'm looking at maybe taking a cruise, although I've never taken a cruise before. But my question is, as a solo traveler, you'll see deals come across and it'll say it's, you know, a thousand dollars for a uh, for a cruise. But then there's always that little asterisk that says, you know, assumes double occupancy where really the price is for two. And so when you go to try and look for deals, you're you're really either getting you're not getting any deal at all um and because you're a solo traveler and you always seem to get this upcharge there are so many millions of single people out there where do single solo travelers that just want to say i i want a plug and play excursion i i don't want to think about it this is my vacation but i really don't want to pay that 50% 50% upcharge for, you know, just being a solo traveler. It seems sure. like it's a, it's a punishment. All right. So uh, one thing you should know is one cruise line has done a lot of experimentation, has put cabins on a lot of their ships that are for a single traveler, and that's Norwegian Cruise Lines, NCL. Okay. And so on a bunch of their ships, they have these cabins that they're very small. I should warn you right away. The single traveler cabins are uh, <laughs> very tiny. They're not like Japanese pod hotels, but they're they're very small rooms. But then you do pay a non-discriminatory price as a single traveler 
when you book those cabins on NCL. I see. And a lot of European tour operators don't do the per-person double occupancy thing. Oh, okay. Because in Europe, it's common that a lot of people travel uh, as a single individual and not as part of a couple or a group. And so a lot of European tour operators that sell travel in the United States um, do sell non-discriminatory prices to an individual traveling by himself or herself. And I'll tell you how you'd find those. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Thank you. Oh, is that what you're going to ask me? Yeah, I will. Jump the gun, huh? (laughs) Great. Great. Tell me more. (laughs) Okay. So usually if you go to a vacation-oriented travel agent who's an experienced agent, they'll know the European operators that don't charge the single supplement. So it's working with uh, with a professional travel agent as opposed to uh, self-service. Exactly. Okay. So if you do that, um, you're going to have a better shot of finding that without the extra charge. Yeah, I've never actually worked with a travel agent before. I, I've, I've done self-service my whole life. And uh, uh, so, you know, I guess if you do need that expert opinion, that's that's kind of where you need to go for that. But they'll, they'll be able to save you the time and hopefully save you the money on, on what you're looking for. And you can always go to Dr. Google, as so many people call a Google search. You can go to Google and you can put in um, uh, single travel or, or okay. uh, single travel, no supplement, or try different search terms like that. And you may well see travel suppliers that aren't charging that. But I think really, if you're looking for any kind of tour kind of thing, the travel agent is going to be the best bet. And you usually pay a travel agent an hourly rate for his or her advice like you would if you're going to an accountant or a lawyer. So the data breaches continue. You may have heard that the city of Baltimore has been uh, basically shut down in terms of all their computer systems, and it has made it difficult for people to do uh, any kind of function that touches on government. Even a lot of real estate sales, like people buying and selling homes, that's not taking place right now easily because of it. And so this is something that has happened repeatedly and gotten a lot of publicity with governments where they get hit by a cyber attack. Many times uh, the cyber attackers want ransom. Other times they just want to hit you with havoc. City of North Carolina got hit recently. City of Atlanta got hit and it cost the city of Atlanta millions of dollars to overcome the destroyed systems from the hack. So this is going to be a part of our lives going forward. And often it's not going to be somebody just after money. It's going to be a foreign government trying to cause problems for companies, individuals, governments in the United States. And I want you to think about this. Think about how dependent you may be in your own life on technology. I shared with you recently that I now have a small stash of cash. I'm one of the people who really never uses cash, but I have an emergency reserve of cash, not anything large, but just the idea is that if uh, the credit card networks 
get attacked and they shut down or payment system networks or the ability for you to access ATMs. Just think about in your life how you would do things if for a period of time that could be hours, days, or weeks, you didn't have access to being able to do things that right now you do electronically. What is your plan B to make sure that you, if you need to buy food, you can buy food, or whatever it is you're trying to do in your life that you're going to be able to get it done. Because what happened to Baltimore, what happens to so many companies that doesn't get in the news with hackers, well, it could directly impact you and me at some point. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. ClarkDeals.com is where you go to get all the deals. So it's been a very rough cycle in an intensely strong economy for most retailers. Retailers have been reporting uh, massive numbers of store closings, a lot of retailers reporting declines in sales, and they have at a lot of retailers, excess inventory. And so the next several weeks are going to be very, very, as they call it in retail, promotional at a time of year that normally is not a big time in retail. I mean, other than the Memorial Day holiday sales, which are just like one of those by rote kind of sales periods, it's going to be uh, for things like clothing, any kind of seasonal goods, deals are going to be better than normal over the next several weeks. And at, and you look at uh, Target, which just reported that they're doing better than people expected, but both Target and Walmart are doing so by offering more aggressive pricing on things, i.e. lower pricing on a lot of merchandise, as people are becoming more reluctant to spend money right now because there's a lot of uncertainty involved with the with the tariffs and so far the tariffs have been a lot more talk than they've been action but depending on what happens with us and the Chinese in the next several weeks it could go from talk to serious numbers and nobody's affected more then you as a consumer going to shop at a store for stuff because a lot of stuff that we buy is imported. A lot of it made in China will be subject to these tariffs and you and I will be paying them. So as far as as a consumer, this is a time that it pays to buy forward, to buy while sales have been soft, while stores are trying to get rid of stuff, and before there's impact from the tariffs that may or may not come. Another thing I've had a number of questions about, you know, we have on Clark Deals a guide to the best low-cost cell phones that are available, with, who's got the best prices on them right now and all that. And one of those phones is a phone that is made by Huawei and it's sold under Huawei's second brand they use honor and so it's led to people saying well what do i do because 
you know, there was a lot of fuss earlier this week that Google was going to pull uh, lots of its uh, capabilities off of new Huawei phones, and then that was suspended for three months by an action of the president. And so, uh, you know, people are asking, you know, should I be buying these? What's it going to mean? What happens if I already own a Huawei phone? And the thing is, everything going on right now with the saber rattling over trade that's going on with us and other countries, you don't know when it's smoke and when it's fire. So that is the purpose of it, is it's a negotiating tactic, it's a negotiating ploy by the United States putting restrictions on functionality of Huawei. Huawei is the world's second largest seller of smartphones. It looked like they were going to be the world's largest before this year is out. That's not going to happen now. But they sell uh, a huge number of phones around the world on Google's operating system. So that's why that was a stake potentially in their heart that Google's operating system would be banned from future production of Huawei phones. If you have a Huawei phone already, not that many people do in the United States, I wouldn't worry. And as far as how the whole trade thing's going to work out, I'm sure the president has no idea how this is going to play out. It is a multi-level, multi-part negotiation going on, and it's hard to make big decisions based on what's going on with the U.S. and China So that's why you just make tactical decisions, like what I talked about with shopping, that with the uncertainty, creating opportunity, it's a good time to buy stuff. And then on the other hand, later in the year, if we really do get ugly with the Chinese and there are big tariffs, it's going to be tougher as a consumer because things are going to cost more. Kirby is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Kirby. Hi. How you doing, Clark? Great. Thank you, Kirby. How can I be of service? I am interested in getting into uh, investment properties, and I've, I've been listening to you for quite some time since I was a youngster, and I know that was one of your first endeavors. And I would just like to know, how do you actually go about getting into it um, as far as who do I get financing from? And is a foreclosure a better option than a tax lien and, and, and all those things? Is there any literature that you could suggest that I read before I jump into this uh, endeavor? Well, actually, what I love for somebody who's just getting started in the idea of doing investment real estate to do is join a local real estate investors club. I love those. They tend to meet, depending on the area where you find one, they usually meet once a month, and people exchange ideas, they learn from one another, There's a lot of seminars available, but most of the learning is between seminar sessions as you informally talk to other people. You get to meet a lot of people who do a lot of things to help real estate investors, like lawyers who set up LLCs for real estate investors, uh, people who help with property management, uh, uh, people who are in the lending business for uh, for the investor market. And so I like that as a good starting point. Um, There's also a woman uh, from Chicago who writes really well-thought-out books about real estate named Elise Glink, and it'd be good to look 
uh, at some of what she's written and see if there's a book that would really be a good waterfront kind of guide for you to uh, how to invest in real estate. Um, it, the question you asked about foreclosures, tax liens, I am not a fan of the whole tax lien scenario. I would stay away from that. Foreclosures were not in a cycle with a lot of foreclosures. I mean, think about it, Kirby. Uh, you know, a decade ago, that's what real estate investors were looking at a lot because we had a, a mass wave of foreclosures in so many places in the country. But it's pretty rare today that you hear somebody talking about a foreclosure or a purchase of a foreclosure. Okay, okay. Um, I want to say one thing about the financing. When you're starting out, you've got to have cash. Okay. Um, real estate investors, if you have no history, you don't have a track record, you are going to find that with lenders, they're going to want a substantial down payment even if they finance uh, 70 to 80% of the purchase. Okay. So one of the things is to just start stashing cash. Okay. And there, there's a school of thought that you'll run into if you go to a local real estate investors club of people who buy um, really, really distressed, beat up, awful, unloved homes that they can buy for the cash they come up with, and then they rehab them into rental properties. Uh, I see, I see. So there's, there's many different ways people do this. But don't get ahead of yourself. Start with, when you do get a property, start with a single one and be comfortable with it. Uh, let your tenants pay down some of the debt on that for you before you really think and look at another one. Okay. And I hope that helps. Joel of our crew has five rental properties now. What did you not hear me say that you would want Kirby to think about? No, I mean, I think that's that's most of it. The, the only other thing is then to decide where you want to spe specifically invest and kind of hone in on a neighborhood or two and get to know those neighborhoods for six months to a year as you're looking at listings and kind of figuring out you know what you think you might want to invest invest in getting to know a neighborhood is really helpful so kirby we gave you a lot of work to do good luck ron is with us on the clark howard show hi ron hey clark good to talk with you well great to have you here ron uh just got a quick question for you we uh we're retired and uh, spent uh, the last 10 or 15 years. We've got all of our debt paid off and uh, canceled all of our credit cards and haven't had any debt for a while. And uh, we run our Credit Karma every month, and its score is starting to dip a little bit. And I'm just curious. I hear you advise people about keeping their credit score up, but we really, to my knowledge, have no reason to keep our score up uh, do you have any suggestions? I mean, uh, should we or can we, you know, I mean, I know there's advantages to using a credit card, like whenever you purchase certain things sure. over a debit card, and uh, which right, so, I don't understand well, why let's, that let's is. Look at this anyway, in, go ahead. Let's look at this in two ways, okay? It's fantastic 
and has been great for your life that you carry no debt at all. Yes. And how many years have you actually been completely debt-free, no debt of any kind? Uh, we paid off our mortgage about two years ago. So and that's that was a special day, wasn't it? Oh, man, it was wonderful. I can't explain the feeling, and uh, I've told my kids about it. It's a great feeling that I, I didn't realize what it would be like until we did that. So I carry no debt at all, but I use credit cards, which sounds okay. completely contrary, and technically I'm a liar when I say that. Because if I'm using credit cards, I'm creating a debt that I pay when the bill comes in. I use credit cards as a payment system. And for the various reasons you've heard me say from protecting yourself as a consumer. Correct. And so you're potentially vulnerable, but you may not be engaging in a lot of the travel that I do. You may not buy things online a lot. I mean, there there are people who from a practical standpoint, don't truly need to have credit, and you may not ever need credit again. However, your auto insurance, your homeowner's insurance, in most states now the principal factor for setting your rate is not anything to do with claims or how you drive or anything like that. It's what your credit score is. And as your well, score that, drops, that can become a problem. The uh, I checked with my insurance agent, and they said they use LexisNexis. And I double-checked, and there's nothing there that's negative. And I feel that's just wrong And if an insurance company is going to uh, in base their insurance on your credit score. But, uh, I mean, I may have to participate just to keep that uh, credit score reasonable. I don't know. So the easiest answer just to keep uh, you know just to keep a toe in the water is to have a single credit card. You know I talked to a lot of people about how you need to have two and all that. In your case I'd be mm-hmm. happy if you just had one. Okay. And just use it a, a couple of times a year so that okay. it, it will keep your credit active and I think that that is a defensive posture and here you're doing a great thing. You need no money from anybody. You need no debt. You have no debt, and you live a a frugal lifestyle. Why should you have to do something to make the system happy when the system you have works really well for you? But I think that it is worth it for you to have a single credit card just so you've got one if you uh, ever were away from home traveling or whatever, and it protects you from people in business that make a decision on if you're okay or not based on that three-digit number, your credit score. Derek is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Derek. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Great, thank you. You're done with your truck, huh? Been done with the truck for a while and looking to sell it. And the reason for my call is I'm not completely comfortable doing a private sale and just wanted to get your opinion on where it would be maybe a good avenue to sell it. As Most at- people hate doing a private sale because it's not the easiest process. And so uh, how old is your truck? It's a 2012. Oh, a relatively new truck. Yes. All right. Um, have you considered going to 
as an example, CarMax to see what they would offer you for the truck? I have, and I have uh, received an appraisal from them and one other company. All right. But uh, I also recommend, what brand of truck do you have? It's a GMC. Right. So how many GMC dealers are there within, let's say, a half hour or so of where you live? There are two. And have you been to the used car manager at both of them? I have not. I, I really advise that because, you know, car dealers are always looking for inventory for their used vehicle lots because that's where the money's made is okay. on the used lot. And normally they're having to get inventory either by trade-in or at auctions. And for a dealer who sells GMC, the best vehicles for them to have on their used lot are used GMCs because the person who's already come there, they're already, they already have an affinity for GMC products. So going okay. to those two dealers and getting offers from them is great. You know, dealers, people think that dealers only want to deal with you on a, on a vehicle you're getting rid of when you're buying another one. But there's so little money made on the sale of new vehicles, generally, that they're happy to have another inventory vehicle from buying from you. So with CarMax, they make you an offer that you have, is it seven days that they honor exactly, the price. Yeah. And so what I like for people to do is go to CarMax, get an offer from them, then go to the branded dealers that sell the brand of vehicle you're trying to get rid of, get their offers, and then you know where it's going to be best. I sold a vehicle recently that I went to the four dealers in my area to get prices. And also I have a CarMax near me. I went to CarMax. And I just sold it to the dealer that offered the most money. The, the, the most unusual thing, that vehicle was also a 2012. It was okay. a $5,000 difference, approximately, from the lowest offer I got to the highest offer. Wow. Well, and the, I also received an offer from a company that they come to your home. That's fine, too. If they offer you a better deal than someone else... Take that deal, but as many as you go survey, the better you're going to feel comfortable with the offer you take. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.